0: chapter thirty two of framley parsonage by anthony trollope this librivox recording is in the public domain recording by nick whitley purley united kingdom chapter thirty two the goat and compasses harold smith had been made unhappy by that rumour of a dissolution but the misfortune to him would be as nothing compared to the severity with which it would fall on mr sowerby harold smith might or might not lose his borough but mr sowerby would undoubtedly lose his county and in losing that he would lose everything he felt very certain now that the duke would not support him again let who would be master of caldicots and as he reflected on these things he found it very hard to keep up his spirits tom towers it seems had known all about it as he always does the little remark which had dropped from him at miss dunstable's made no doubt after mature deliberation and with profound political motives was the forerunner only by twelve hours of a very general report that the giants were going to the country it was manifest that the giants had not a majority in parliament generous as had been the promises of support disinterestedly made to them by the gods this indeed was manifest and therefore they were going to the country although they had been deliberately warned by a very prominent scion of olympus that if they did do so that disinterested support must be withdrawn this threat did not seem to weigh much and by two o'clock on the day following miss dunstable's party the fiat was presumed to have gone forth the rumour had begun with tom towers but by that time it had reached buggins at the petty-bag office it won't make no difference to us sir will it mr Robarts said buggins as he leant respectfully against the wall near the door in the room of the private secretary at that establishment a good deal of conversation miscellaneous special and political went on between young robarts and buggins in the course of the day as was natural seeing that they were thrown in these evil times very much upon each other the lord petty bag of the present ministry was not such a one as harold smith he was a giant indifferent to his private notes and careless as to the duties even of patronage he rarely visited the office and as there were no other clerks in the establishment owing to a root and branch reform carried out in the short reign of harold smith to whom could young robarts talk if not to buggins no i suppose not said robarts as he completed on his blotting paper an elaborate picture of a turk seated on his divan cause you see sir we're in the upper house now as i always thinks we ought to be i don't think it ain't constitutional for the petty bag to be in the commons mr robarts anyways it never usen't they're changing all those sort of things nowadays buggins said robarts giving the final touch to the turk's smoke well i'll tell you what it is mr robarts i think i'll go i can't stand all these changes i'm turned of sixty now and don't want any stifflicates i think i'll take my pension and walk the office ain't the same place at all since it come down among the commons and then buggins retired sighing to console himself with a pot of porter behind a large open office ledger set up on end on a small table in the little lobby outside the private secretary's room buggins sighed again as he saw that the date made visible in the open book was almost as old as his own appointment for such a book as this lasted long in the petty-bag office a peer of high degree had been lord Pettybag in those days one whom a messenger's heart could respect with infinite veneration as he made his unaccustomed visits to the office with much solemnity perhaps four times during the season the lord Pettybag then was highly regarded by his staff and his coming among them was talked about for some hours previously and for some days afterwards but harold smith had bustled in and out like the managing clerk in a manchester house the service is going to the dogs said buggins to himself as he put down the porter-pot and looked up over the book at a gentleman who presented himself at the door mr robarts in his room said buggins repeating the gentleman's words yes mr sowerby you'll find him there the first door to the left and then remembering that the visitor was a county member a position which buggins regarded as next to that of a peer he got up and opening the private secretary's door ushered in the visitor young robots and mr Sarby had of course become acquainted in the days of harold smith's reign during that short time the member for east barset had on most days dropped in at the petty-bag office for a minute or two finding out what the energetic cabinet minister was doing chatting on semi-official subjects and teaching the private secretary to laugh at his master there was nothing therefore in his present visit which need appear to be singular or which required any immediate special explanation He sat himself down in his ordinary way and began to speak of the subject of the day we're all to go said sowerby so i hear said the private secretary it will give me no trouble for as the respectable buggins says we're in the upper house now what a delightful time those lucky dogs of lords do have said sowerby no constituents no turning out no fighting no necessity for political opinions and as a rule no such opinions at all i suppose you're tolerably safe in east barsetshire said robarts the duke has it pretty much his own way there yes the duke does have it pretty much his own way by the by where is your brother at home said robarts at least i presume so at framley or at barchester i believe he was in residence at barchester not long since he's at framley now i know i got a letter only yesterday from his wife with a commission he was there and lord lufton had just left yes lufton was down he started for norway this morning i want to see your brother you have not heard from him yourself have you no not lately "'Mark is a bad correspondent. "'He would not do at all for a private secretary. "'At any rate, not to Harold Smith. "'But you are sure I should not catch him at Barchester? "'Send down by telegraph, and he would meet you.' "'I don't want to do that. "'A telegraph message makes such a fuss in the country, "'frightening people's wives, "'and setting all the horses about the place galloping. "'What is it about?' nothing of any great consequence i didn't know whether he might have told you i'll write down by to-night's post and then he can meet me at barchester to-morrow or do you write there's nothing i hate so much as letter-writing just tell him that i called and that i shall be much obliged if he can meet me at the dragon of wantley say at two to-morrow i will go down by the express mark robarts in talking over this coming money trouble with Sowerby, had once mentioned that, if it were necessary to take up the bill for a short time, he might be able to borrow the money from his brother. So much of the father's legacy still remained in the hands of the private secretary as would enable him to produce the amount of the latter bill, and there could be no doubt that he would lend it if asked mr sowerby's visit to the petty-bag office had been caused by a desire to learn whether any such request had been made and also by a half-formed resolution to make the request himself if he should find that the clergyman had not done so it seemed to him to be a pity that such a sum should be lying about as it were within reach and that he should not stoop to put his hands upon it such abstinence would be so contrary to all the practice of his life that it was as difficult to him as it is for a sportsman to let pass a cock-pheasant but yet something like remorse touched his heart as he sat there balancing himself on his chair in the private secretary's room and looking at the young man's open face Yes, I'll write to him, said John Robots, but he hasn't said anything to me about anything particular, hasn't he? It does not much signify. I only mentioned it because I thought I understood him to say that he would, and then Mr. Sowerby went on swinging himself. How was it that he felt so averse to mention that little sum of five hundred pounds? to a young man like john robarts a fellow without wife or children or calls on him of any sort who would not even be injured by the loss of the money seeing that he had an ample salary on which to live he wondered at his own weakness the want of the money was urgent on him in the extreme he had reasons for supposing that mark would find it very difficult to renew the bills but he sowerby could stop their presentation if he could get this money at once into his own hands can i do anything for you said the innocent lamb offering his throat to the butcher but some unwonted feeling numbed the butcher's fingers and blunted his knife he sat still for half a minute after the question and then jumping from his seat declined the offer no no nothing thank you only write to mark and say that i shall be there to-morrow and then taking his hat he hurried out of the office what an ass i am he said to himself as he went as if it were of any use now to be particular he then got into a cab and had himself driven half-way up portman street towards the new road and walking from thence a few hundred yards down a cross street he came to a public house it was called the goat and compasses a very meaningless name one would say but the house boasted of being a place of public entertainment very long established on that site having been a tavern out in the country in the days of cromwell at that time the pious landlord, putting up a pious legend for the benefit of his pious customers, had declared that God encompasseth us. The goat encompasses in these days does quite as well, and considering the present character of the house was perhaps less unsuitable than the old legend. Is Mr. Austin here? asked Mr. Sowerby of the man at the bar. Which in 'em? Um, not Mr. John, he ain't here mr tom is in the little room on the left-hand side the man whom mr sowerby would have preferred to see was the elder brother john but as he was not to be found he did go into the little room in that room he found mr austin junior according to one arrangement of nomenclature and mr tom tozer according to another to gentlemen of the legal profession he generally chose to introduce himself as belonging to the respectable family of the austins but among his intimates he had always been tozer mr sowerby though he was intimate with the family did not love the tozers but he especially hated tom tozer tom tozer was a bull-necked beetle-browed fellow The expression of whose face was eloquent with acknowledged roguery i'm a rogue it seemed to say i know it all the world knows it but you're another all the world don't know that but i do men are all rogues pretty nigh some are soft rogues and some are cute rogues i am a cute one so mind your eye it was with such words that tom tozer's face spoke out and though a thorough liar in his heart he was not a liar in his face well tozer said mr sowerby absolutely shaking hands with the dirty miscreant i wanted to see your brother john ain't here and ain't like but it's all as one yes yes i suppose it is i know you two hunt in couples i don't know what you mean about hunting mr Sarby. you gents has all the hunting and we poor folk has all the work i hope you're going to make up this trifle of money we're out of so long it's about that i've called i don't know what you call long tozer but the last bill was only dated in february it's overdue ain't it oh yes it's overdue there's no doubt about that well when a bit of paper is come round the next thing is to take it up them's my ideas and to tell you the truth mr sowerby we don't think as how you've been treating us just on the square lately in that matter of lord lufton's you was down on us uncommon you know i couldn't help myself well and we can't help ourselves now that's where it is mr sowerby lord love you we know what's what we do and so the fact is we're uncommon low as to the ready just at present and we must have them few hundred pounds we must have them at once or we must sell up that clerical gent i'm dashed if it ain't as hard to get money from a parson as it is to take a bone from a dog he's at his account no doubt and why don't he pay mr sowerby had called with the intention of explaining that he was about to proceed to barchester on the following day with the express view of making arrangements about this bill and had he seen john tozer john would have been compelled to accord to him some little extension of time both tom and john knew this and therefore john the soft-hearted one kept out of the way was no danger that tom would be weak and after some half-hour of parley he was again left by mr sowerby without having evinced any symptom of weakness it's the dips as we want mr sowerby that's all were the last words which he spoke as the member of parliament left the room mr sowerby then got into another cab and had himself driven to his sister's house it is a remarkable thing with reference to men who are distressed for money distressed as was now the case with mr sowerby that they never seem at a loss for small sums or deny themselves those luxuries which small sums purchase cabs dinners wine theatres and new gloves are always at the command of men who are drowned in pecuniary embarrassments whereas those who don't owe a shilling are so frequently obliged to go without them it would seem that there is no gratification so costly as that of keeping out of debt but then it is only fair that if a man has a hobby he should pay for it any one else would have saved his shilling as mrs harold smith's house was only just across oxford street in the neighbourhood of hanover square but mr sowerby never thought of this he had never saved a shilling in his life and it did not occur to him to begin now he had sent word to her to remain at home for him and he now found her waiting harriet said he throwing himself back into an easy chair the game is pretty well up at last nonsense said she the game is not up at all if you have the spirit to carry it on i can only say that i got a formal notice this morning from the duke's lawyer saying that he meant to foreclose at once not from fothergill but from those people in south audley street you expected that said his sister i don't see how that makes it any better besides i am not quite sure that i did expect it at any rate i did not feel certain there is no doubt now it is better that there should be no doubt it is much better that you should know on what ground you have to stand i shall soon have no ground to stand on none at least of my own not an acre said the unhappy man with great bitterness in his tone you can't in reality be poorer now than you were last year you have not spent anything to speak of there can be no doubt that Caldicotts will be ample to pay all you owe the duke it's as much as it will and what am i to do then i almost think more of the seat than i do of caldicots you know what i advise said mrs smith ask miss dunstable to advance the money on the same security which the duke holds she will be as safe then as he is now and if you can arrange that stand for the county against him perhaps you may be beaten i shouldn't have a chance but it would show that you are not a creature in the duke's hands that's my advice said mrs smith with much spirit and if you wish i'll broach it to miss dunstable and ask her to get her lawyer to look into it if i had done this before i had run my head into that other absurdity don't fret yourself about that she will lose nothing by such an investment and therefore you are not asking any favour of her besides did she not make the offer and she is just the woman to do this for you now because she refused to do that other thing for you yesterday you understand most things nathaniel but i'm not sure that you understand women not at any rate such a woman as her it went against the grain with mr sowerby this seeking of pecuniary assistance from the very woman whose hand he had attempted to gain about a fortnight since but he allowed his sister to prevail what could any man do in such straits that would not go against the grain at the present moment he felt in his mind an infinite hatred against the duke mr fothergill gumption and gageby and all the tribes of gatherum castle and south audley street they wanted to rob him of that which had belonged to the sowerbys before the name of omnium had been heard of in the county or in england the great leviathan of the deep was anxious to swallow him up as a prey he was to be swallowed up and made away with and put out of sight without a pang of remorse Any measure which could now present itself as the means of staving off so evil a day would be acceptable, and therefore he gave his sister the commission of making this second proposal to Miss Dunstable, in cursing the Duke, for he did curse the Duke lustily. It hardly occurred to him to think that, after all, the Duke only asked for his own. As for Mrs. Harold Smith, whatever may be the view taken of her general character as a wife and a member of society, it must be admitted that as a sister she had virtues. End of chapter thirty two recording by Nick Whitley, Purley, United Kingdom.